0: Mark chapter 5 is where we'll be. We'll start in verse 21 and uh, read down to verse 43. Grass withers and flowers fade with the word of our God. Let's begin verse 21. Join me there. Beautiful story. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. He was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, seeing him, he fell at his feet. He implored him him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. He went with him. Great crowd followed him and thronged about him. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She had suffered much under many physicians. She spent all that she had and was no better, but rather she grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus. She came up behind him in the crowd, touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately he turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her? She came in fear and trembling. She fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, "Daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease." While he was still speaking, there, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, "Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher?" Why well, trouble the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping, wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. They laughed at him, but he put them all outside. Took the child's father and mother, those who were with him, they went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and she began walking, for she was 12 years old. They were immediately overcome with amazement, and He strictly charged them that no one should know this. They told them, He told them, give her something to eat. Join me as we pray. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that You would help us in this crowd, in this crowd, our people, like this woman, Jairus. And we need help. So I pray that you would take this passage and use it as, as medicine. Use it as healing. Use it as light to shine in darkness. Pray that you'd bring back the hope and joy of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe may be seated. <clears throat> I will freely admit to you that I eat like a middle schooler, maybe even worse. I like chicken nuggets, chicken tenders. Yesterday for lunch I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I like grilled cheese. I like Cheetos, the regular kind and the puff kind. I like barbecue chips and sour cream and onion chips. I like those salt and vinegar chips, but sometimes they feel weird on my tongue so I don't eat them much. I like uh, cherry Coke and cheer wine and orange drink. I don't care what kind, Fanta or whatever the other one is. For dessert, for dessert, if I'm not having ice cream or, or cake and some cupcakes, I like those too. If I'm not having ice cream, what I really like is cookies. I like chocolate chip cookies and ginger snap cookies. I like those Little Debbie oatmeal cream pies. They make small, and now they're making a big large one for big men like me. I like a big one. <laughs> I'll even have Nikot crackers from Lance for lunch. But the best cookie that has ever been made is the Oreo. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. Get that man some Oreos. <laughs> Oreos are little mini delicious chocolate sandwich. They have on that Oreo two hard outer edges that are exactly the same and in the middle there's a wonderful creamy <laughs> surprise. Now the reason I bring up the structure, the reason I bring up the structure of an Oreo is because the passage in front of us is built like an Oreo. Starts off with one story, a man named Jairus comes to Jesus about his daughter, he needs help, we start there and then we move quickly to another story about this precious woman. This nameless suffering woman who's at the very end of her life. We get to that story and then when that's done, we return back so that you have a sandwich. Jairus, Jairus, the woman I thought about separating them, thought, well, let's just take the two different. But the problem is they are interconnected and depend on one another. Needs to stay together. In this passage, let's get the context. In this passage, we've come up up to the final two miracles of Jesus' early ministry. You remember the first two. The first one was when he crossed the Sea of Galilee with the disciples in the boat. The storm came up and scared them all to death. And Jesus stood up and rebuked the storm, the wind and the waves, and it was deathly calm. Then they were afraid of Jesus because Jesus has authority and power over the natural world. Crossed the Sea of Galilee, landed where the Gentiles lived, the Gerasenes, the Decapolis, the Greeks lived there. There they met a man who was filled with demons, 10, 12, 20, could have been up to 6,000. The name was Legion, 6,000 demons, and Jesus cast them all out. They entered those pigs and ran down the hill and drowned. So that we saw Jesus has power and authority over not just the natural, but the supernatural world. Now we've come back across the sea, Galilee, probably back to Capernaum. Now we watch as Jesus displays His power over disease and death. Today I want you to keep your eyes now. There are a couple of key players in the Bible. But I want you to keep your eyes on Jesus. I want you to see how He he deals with people. And I want you to trust how He will deal with you. Let's let's follow the storyline and see that as long as you have Jesus, there is hope. As long as you have Jesus, there is hope. What do I want you to see? Here's the first one, point number one. Jesus sees the hurt in every crowd. Jesus, if you'd like to write things down, that's it. Jesus sees the hurt in every crowd. Verse 21, we see it there. Verse 21, when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. All kinds of people. I don't know how they knew he was coming, but somehow they knew he's coming back across the sea, back possibly to Capernaum, and they are waiting on him. A great crowd. Mark later will call this a throng of people. All kinds of people. Some are there because they love his teaching. They want to hear him teach. Some are there because they have some sort of disease or they need a miracle. They're there to receive a miracle. Some people are there because they can't stand him. Some people are there. Some people are there just to see the show. It's a spectacle when Jesus is there. Hundreds of people are thronging around Jesus. And in the middle of that crowd, where there are hundreds of people, there are two very desperate souls. One is a man named Jairus. He's probably a Pharisee. If he is a Pharisee, he had spent the early part of Jesus' ministry there not liking Jesus. Jesus did not appeal to the Pharisees. A man there named Jairus, who is a Pharisee, His life has now come completely unraveled. Luke tells us he has one child. It's a little girl. This little girl is dying. We don't know how long it's been since he was home, how long he's been waiting on the seashore on Jesus to get here. What we know is that he's desperate. The other person is is this depressed, poverty-stricken woman. We don't know her name. Her tortured life has brought her to a dead end. I want to pause here before we even get into the story. I want to pause here and say that in every crowd, in every crowd, this one is no different, in this crowd, in every crowd, there are people great and small, black and white. There are people from all walks of life, young and old. There are people that are dealing with things... That we don't see, that we don't have any idea of, yet Jesus sees it all. There are hearts in this room right now, in this very room, there are hearts right now in this room that are torn by anxiety. In, In this room there are bodies, physical bodies that are wrecked with pain, Sitting in this room, there are, there are souls that are burdened with worry. You don't want to worry, you just worry. And in this room, there are minds that are racked with depression. This room right here, there are, are lives, lives that are trying to heal from abuse. And Jesus sees it all. Even in the busy crowd, even in the throng of people, Jesus is ready to heal and to sustain, to forgive. What is it that keeps you from coming to Jesus? We're going to get to them. There are going to be two players here, major players. Both players in this story were wretched. They both were in need Neither of them brought anything to Jesus. They came to Jesus to receive. Maybe that's what God has done in your life to get you to the point where you will come to Jesus. Sometimes He takes us to the bottom to do that. That you will come to Jesus and receive the eternal healing power of the gospel. The gospel The For those of you that are New to Hickory Grove, when I say the gospel, I have something very specific in mind. When I say gospel, what I mean is that God is the holy creator. That's what the Bible teaches. God created all of us in his image. You have dignity because the image of God. You bear that. You are an image bearer. The image of God in us has been disfigured by our own sin. The sin that we commit is not just taking us far away from God. We are cut off from God. The Bible describes that as being dead in sin. That's our condition. But that's not how God leaves us. God is a loving and holy God. He gives us Jesus Christ. He's Jesus, who's fully God, one hand, and also is fully man. We'll see a bit of that here. Jesus came and lived perfectly in a way that we couldn't live. And not only lived perfectly, earning righteousness for us, Jesus goes to the cross. The cross was an instrument of torture, of punishment. And at the cross, Jesus takes the wrath of God. When you hear somebody say... Do you believe in a wrathful God? Yes, I do. He poured all that wrath out on Jesus. And the promise of the gospel is when God raised Jesus from the dead, the promise is that it worked, the sacrifice worked, He has received Jesus in our place, Jesus died in our place. And if you will put your faith, if you put your faith in Jesus, you take the gospel as your own, put your faith in Jesus... He will save and forgive, and heal. Right off the bat, we see Jesus sees the hurt in every crowd. Now, with that in mind, let's get to the story and take a look at both of these. Here's the second point, number two: Jesus hears. Number two, Jesus hears the broken-hearted, the broken-hearted. Let's go to it and read it from verse twenty-one to verse twenty-four. <clears throat> Jesus crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered there, it's probably Capernaum, on the seashore. Verse 22. One of the rulers, he's probably a Pharisee, he's a leading man in the community, he's well known, he's a ruler in the synagogue. If you had to put it in our terms, maybe someone that would be thought well enough to be the chairman of the deacon, somebody that takes care of, maybe on the finance committee, has proven himself in the church and has risen over years of being faithful, he is well respected in the community. He's also probably a Pharisee and he's heard all these things about Jesus and the Pharisees didn't think much of Jesus but something has happened, you see. Verse 22, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. He sees Jesus and falls at his feet. Jairus never fell at anybody's feet. That's not how it works. He's the respected one; people fall at his feet. Something obviously has happened. Verse twenty-three: He not only has fallen at the feet of Jesus there in the dirt; he is begging him. You see the word "implored" him, and he says to him, "My little daughter." It's good on Father's Day. Remember, we're going to find out later this girl's twelve years old. She's not a little girl anymore, but to Jairus she is. My little daughter. She is at the point of death. You see that phraseology, the point of death? It is the word eschaton or eschatos. If we speak of eschatology, we talk about end things. End times is eschatology. This word eschatos is the word end. And here's what he's saying. My daughter is at the end. If you'll just come and put your hands, I've heard about you. If you'll just come and lay your hands on her. She'll get well, and she'll live. And the miraculous thing is all of these people are around Jesus. They've crowded around him. Jairus has broken through. He's asked Jesus to come, and Jesus says, I'll come. Well, now, now, back up a second. Now, what do we learn here? A couple of things. Here's something we learned, number one. God oftentimes uses, God uses desperate situations to bring us to Jesus. God uses. God makes those things happen to bring you to Jesus. Sometimes the bottom drops out. God uses that to bring you to Jesus. Sometimes you've got to hit the bottom for you to realize you need Jesus. So instead of looking back at the hard times in your life and thinking, why did God do that to me? Look back at them and say, God, thank you. When every crutch is knocked out, all I have is Jesus. God uses desperate times to bring us to Jesus. I'll give you something else you learned from this passage. That is that there's crisis. If you have a crisis, crisis clarifies your faith makes it understand. So Jairus has already been a believer in God. He goes to the synagogue. He is a respectable man, believes in God. Now something has happened in his life. Verse 23, we find him down before Jesus in the position of worshiping Jesus. He no longer is somebody that just believes in God. He now has been brought to a very narrow belief in Jesus. Sometimes God uses the crises to bring you to a pinpoint. Instead of a, a light bulb, it becomes a laser on Jesus. I'll give you a third thing you might learn from this passage. When you see him there in verse 22 and 23, he is a proud man. He has been brought low. I would just say that humility humility, and worship go hand in hand. Proud people don't worship. They don't think they have to. The Bible says that God is opposed to the proud. So to break to take pride away, God humbles us. Some of what you've been through, you might have been a prideful person had you not gone through it. God has used that to humble you. And humility leads us right into worship. Makes you worship. Now here's the story. Stay with me. Here's the story. Jairus is there with Jesus. He has asked Jesus to come. Now you understand if there's an emergency, you, some of you have been through this. You, you, there's an emergency. You get called at 2 o'clock in the morning. There's been a terrible wreck. You need to get there as soon as possible. You know how it feels when you're trying to get somewhere in an emergency to get there. It feels like everybody is moving slow. They're in your way. Everything is, is going wrong. Jairus finally has Jesus going with him to his home. And on the way, something happens. We turn our attention now to the middle of the sandwich, to the woman. Here's a third point. Jesus, Jesus honors imperfect faith. Join me there as the story picks up in verse 24. He went with him. A great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Verse 25, we meet her. There's a woman who had a discharge of blood. She has a female problem that she's had for 12 years. She's had this problem for as long, it's interesting, Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. As long as that little girl has been bringing joy into Jairus' home, this woman has been suffering. We'll find out that she has this terrible condition that if you read the, the book of Moses and Leviticus, we find out this makes her unclean. She might as well be a leper she has been suffering, verse 25, suffering. She's been suffering religiously. She can't go into the temple. She's been suffering socially. Everybody knows that's her condition. She would be seen as unclean. Come down to verse 26. She's been, she'd been suffering physically. Verse 26 tells us, and she suffered much under, she suffered much under the hand of the physicians and spent all that she had. She was no better. But grew worse. She suffered. Do you see that word suffered? It's a, it's a Greek word, masti, M A S T I. It is the same word used to describe the word scourging or whip, what Jesus received. She, she suffered by those that were supposed to heal her. These doctors, it's this rudimentary medicine. If you go and read the Talmud, you find there are 11 or 12 ways to treat her condition. All of them are degrading. Every one of them is humiliating. And it's just made it worse. So, so now she is being degraded. All that she's been through. But, but one thing is she's heard. Verse 27 28. We know that she's heard about Jesus. What does the Bible say about being saved, that faith comes through hearing. Somebody had talked about Jesus. She heard that. In verse 27 and verse 28, she thinks to herself, if I can just touch him, the other gospel writers tell us, that she, uh, if I can just touch the tassel, just the him, the holy part of his garment. There's some superstition in here. She had heard that kind of thing before. There's some, if, I can just, if I can touch him, she wants to do it secretly. She wants to do it nobody can see it. She wants to be just for herself. Later on down in the church developing, you hear of Paul's, Paul's handkerchief being placed on people to provide healing or Peter's shadow coming across people to provide healing. You go into church history, you find out in the 11th and 12th centuries, the kingdom of England, kingdom of France, the king saw themselves as God's anointed and they started having ceremonies called the touching ceremony. Edward the confessor and probably Henry I did it where peasants would line up and the king would touch, give them healing. So, something like what she thought of, if I could just touch him. She had a faith. It was an imperfect faith. It was an uninformed faith. It was an undeveloped faith, but she believed Jesus Jesus said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, put your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The Bible says in verse 29, she reached out and touched his garment and immediately, this is what happens, verse 29, immediately she is healed. What's interesting to me is the language here. I don't know if, if the writer meant this or not, but the language is similar to what we find in Isaiah when it talks about us, that by his scourging, we are healed by that same word that she was suffering, we are healed. Here you have a picture in physical format. I've been thinking, how do I find the gospel? Where's the gospel in this? I would say it like this. Just as Jesus took her suffering on the cross, he takes the suffering that we are due. Watch now. Watch Jesus draw the woman out. Jesus does not, Jesus does not invite an incognito faith. This woman wants to get her miracle and get out. That's not how it works. Verse 30. Join me there in verse 30. <clears throat> Jesus perceiving in Himself, what a strange verse, Jesus perceiving in Himself that power had gone out from Him immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? A couple of things to see here. Here is Jesus who is fully God and fully man. The power, of God, the power of God the Father flows through Jesus the Son. So fully God. But fully man, it happened behind Him. He did not see it. He knew something had happened. He turns around and he says, who touched me? Now they're in a throng, they're mashed in together. Kyler and I were at the Southern Baptist Convention this week and there's part of the Convention Center in New Orleans where you walk and goes from a giant wide passageway down to a narrow hall, 16,000 people crammed into the humidity of New Orleans, all of them breathing on me at once. You feel the throng. And that's sort of what's going on here. The crowd is around and Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples say, what do you mean who touched you? Look around you. People are touching all over. And he said, no, that's not what I mean. The woman hears this, verses 32 and 33. He looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came in fear and trembling and Here's the same position of the, as the well-respected man. This woman falls down, this healed woman, falls down before him and told him, confessed the truth. What a beautiful, verse 34. Listen to the words that Jesus says to her. Listen to the tender mercy of Jesus, to the love of Jesus in verse 34. This woman on the ground, daughter. It's the only time in the Gospels you'll ever hear Jesus call someone daughter, daughter. Maybe the first time she had someone address her with such affection, at least in a long time, daughter. He says to her, this is not a superstition. This is not some sort of transaction. You need to know it's faith. Verse 34, your faith has done this. Now he's going to say to her, it could have been a greeting, could have been a departure. I I believe to think, think there's probably more to it. He says to her, peace, verse 34. Go in peace. Now, it's been a long time since she's had any peace. She's suffered at the hands of the physicians. She don't have any money left. Jesus says to her, peace. It's interesting, too, that she already has been healed. She knows that she's been healed. He knows that she's been healed. But the crowd around doesn't know. They would see her as unclean. Jesus gives a public declaration in that little community. So that everybody around her would know. It's important now. You thought she was unclean. You are now healed of your disease. What a a picture of the gospel. The Bible teaches whom the Son has set free is free. Look, have you you come to Jesus for, for cleansing? Every one of us are without Christ, are unclean. We are worse than this woman. Paul would say later that that even our righteousness is like filthy rags. The Bible teaches that our sins are like scarlet, and although they were like scarlet, they have been made white as snow. The woman's getting her life back. While the woman is getting her life back, Life has slipped away from the little girl. Remember, Jairus has been trying to get Jesus to come with him. They've hit the pause button here in this throng. They've stopped. And the delay getting to Jairus' house has been costly. Here we see the final point, number four. Jesus is victorious over death. If you're a note taker, this would be a good time just to put the pencil down. Follow the story. Join me there, verse 35. While Jesus is talking to the woman, while he's still speaking, he hears something behind him. People came from the ruler's house, Jairus' house, and they tell him, Look, your daughter is dead. Jesus turns quickly, verse 36, to the man. And it's face to face with Jairus. Now look at me. Don't be afraid. You've got to believe. You, know, you understand that fear and faith, fear and faith, they do not go together. You either fear or you have faith. You don't have both. So he says to the man, don't be afraid, believe. Verse 37 has it's gotten, it's gotten serious. The throng is too much. The guy needs some breathing room, so Jesus tells them all to stay back. Nobody can come but Peter and James and John. Here we for the first time see the inner circle that comes with Jesus. Nobody but Peter and James and John. He brings the inner circle. Those five men walk on toward Jairus' house. Get there in verse 38 and already someone dies. Just like it is today. When someone dies a process is set in motion. This little girl has died when that happens, the professional mourners, you come in and have loud lament over this daughter of Israel dying. They're out in the yard. They're in the house. They're crying. Verse 38, they're in the yard. There's a commotion. Verse 39, he goes in the house and when he sees them, he says, why? Why are you doing this? She's not dead. She's asleep. Now, why did Jesus say that? Because she, in fact, is dead. What you have there in that euphemism, it's a euphemism for death. It's a euphemism. Why did He use it? Because sleep, if she's asleep, the implication, it implies that she's going to get up. Sleep, you see, has hope. It tells us that when sleep comes to an end, it's when you awaken. It is a a subtle promise that there is a resurrection coming. Walk through the cemeteries of 150 years ago. From time to time, you'll see on the tombstone she's asleep in Jesus. Why Why do we write that on tombstones 150 years ago? It's because we knew there's a resurrection coming. It's good for us to think about it. Asleep in Jesus. Verse 40, you have a a touching family moment. It's interesting to me that Jesus has brought the family in in verse 40. They go into where the little girl is. Verse 40, took the child's, not just Jairus, but bring mom now, father and mother. Those who are with him, Peter, James, and John, there with a little girl, is lying as a corpse. It's interesting if you look at this picture, who's there? Who is there? You have a family, father and mother. You have Peter, James, and John would be the representatives of the church. And you have Jesus. Something good for us to remember. What do we need in life? We need Jesus, the church, and family. So much in verse 41. There's so much here. Verse 41 <clears throat> takes her by takes her by her little cold hand. It's interesting to me that Jesus tenderly touches her. He knows that when her eyes are going to come open, because they are, she needs to see her family, the church, and him. He took her by the hand, and you'll notice that Mark is very clear here. He tells us that he addressed the little girl in her mother tongue. She would would have spoken Aramaic. Greek would have been spoken Bilingual, if you're a bilingual person, you know that you're in times of desperation or hurt. It's your mother tongue. I mean, he says to her, Talitha kum, which which Mark translates for us. Little girl, I say to you, arise. And it's his voice. It's the word, you see. What happened to creation when God spoke, things were created. The power is not just in the touch. The power is in the Word. It's a reminder that Jesus creates what He commands. That it's the life-giving power of the Word. And when He said it, the text says, the little girl, she got up. They're amazed. They can't believe it. Verse 42 and 43, they're overcome with amazement. And He tells them now, it's not time for people to know. They get to see it. We get to see it. They're not ready yet for the the resurrection. You keep this to yourself. And very practically, the 12-year-old girl, give her something to eat. What we have here is a resurrection that is a proto-resurrection. It is a foreshadowing of the resurrection. It is a reminder that Jesus, His life and death and resurrection is what gives us hope. This passage is a reminder that Jesus is our life-giving hope. And as long as you have Jesus, you have hope. That's what I'm asking you today. For some of you, I'm asking you to renew, to renew your hope in Jesus. Be reminded of how good He's been to you, and you turn your life fully over to Christ. For some of you, I'm asking you today, you've heard the story. God has taken it and now has placed it into your heart. I'm asking you to establish your hope in Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to sing another song, a few songs in our worship and turn that over to the Lord. But this next song will be a song of commitment and invitation for you to give your life to Jesus. Why don't you join me now as we close in a time of commitment and prayer. With your heads bowed this morning, as we go to the Lord in a time of prayer and commitment, if God has spoken to your heart through His Word this morning, and this story has reminded you of the good grace of God found in Jesus, and you want to come and pray, maybe for someone, maybe for yourself, when we sing, that's a good time to do that. Possibly you've heard this this morning, and you've been... Made aware of your need. You need Christ. You need the power of God found in Jesus to save you, to take your sins away and to save you. This morning, when we sing, if you'd like to come forward, right down here, I mean, walk down to the front. Our pastors are down here. We can pray with you and talk you through what it looks like to give your life to Jesus Christ, to have Him as Lord and Savior. I want you to know the hope and the love of God. Found in Jesus. Father, we thank You for that picture. We thank You for this beautiful story that rings true. Father, I pray that by Your Spirit You would draw people to Yourself, that You would find us faithful, that today might be a day of renewed hope. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen.